Welcome to another Real Estate with Wendy podcast. Before we get into running the numbers, I'd like to give you a little bit of information about me. Way before I started doing real estate, I used to do other things. One of the things that led me into real estate was being a manager at a restaurant, learning how to manage people and manage numbers, you know, manage the bar, manage product, manage ordering. That gave me a lot of insight into my future and how I would be running my business. Another thing was doing collections, debt collections. I did that for all sorts of, not only the government, but other things as well, medical debts, uh, student loans, things of that nature. That taught me a lot as well, how to talk to people, how to negotiate, how to get the things that you want from whatever the situation is. I learned a lot of how to read people from that particular job as well. But after doing that for a while, I got bored and wanted to look for something else that I could get into. Real estate was mentioned to me. Someone said, hey, you'd be good at being a real estate agent. You should get into real estate. So I went and I got my real estate license and I started out like most real estate agents do, not having a clue as to what they want to specialize in. I worked with a few buyers. I worked with a few sellers and I found out very quickly, that's a lot of work. Buyers and sellers are very unrealistic. Usually, most buyers, most sellers are unrealistic. Sellers think their house is the Taj Mahal. Buyers think that they want to buy something. They want to buy that Taj Mahal, but they want to pay pennies on the dollar for it. So it's a struggle, no matter if I'm working with buyers or with sellers, to get any sort of a deal done. And I found out real quick that that was not my niche. I still do it, but it's not what wakes me up in the morning and makes me feel giddy inside. I fell into having my own property. I fell into doing property management on my own rental that I acquired quite accidentally. And when doing that, word got around, hey, Wendy does property management. Wendy works with rentals. You should call her if you have a rental property you want to rent out. She's a real estate agent. She does it on her own. She can do it for years, too. I started building up a little portfolio, working with owners who don't live in their house. They instead rent it out. And I did that. I got into that pretty quickly when the market crashed in 2008. And I found very, very quickly that working with these investors and owners, they're investors. They're owners. Um, They want to buy more property. They want someone to help them find that property. So wholesaling was something that I started doing years and years ago before it was even called wholesaling. That was something that my owners would say, hey, Wendy, find me, you know, this particular type of house in this particular area. And I would go out and I would seek out deals, write them up in contract, and then pass those on to my investors at a price. And then I would use those profits to go put money on something else for myself. Anyway, working with these owners, these investors, really is what got me into the things that I do now. Real estate has led up to my investment career. Real estate has gotten me, you know, a step closer and a step further into doing things. I have other jobs that I do, and they all come together doing tax research and things of that nature on different properties. It prepares me for when I want to go buy things at auction. Those are really incredible deals, but 
a lot of research is required, and most people have to hire an attorney to do a title search. Uh, Most people need those attorneys to tell them what all the background information is on that property, make sure that the chain of title is correct, make sure that all of the information is good, make sure that the property is the same property that's being sold, and then, of course, to make sure there's no liens or encumbrances or anything on the title, any clouds that would keep you from having um, a good marketable asset there. I've learned so many things in my travels over the past 30 years. Everything that I've done in my life seems to lead me up to what I do now, which is all about investing, all about real estate, all about getting these deals on properties, and then finding ways to make money on those deals. Nine times out of 10 for me, that is buy and hold. Find a property, buy it, fix it up, because obviously the ones that are deals they need work always. They're never in perfect shape unless it's a family deal. You just don't find them like that. Get them fixed up, rent them out, and there is where I find my money. Some people like to flip. I started out flipping. Flipping is a lot of work. Flipping requires a lot of um, hands-on, being there, watching contractors, whereas rental is a whole different beast. And it's just, like I said, my niche, my thing that I've gotten in to make my life work for me. Other people would say flipping is where it's at. And I've got friends who that's all they do is flip and they're really good at it. And, you know, when I want to do a flip, that's who I call as someone who specializes in flipping. And I'll partner up with them because they have different resources than I have. But anyways, that's enough about me, I guess. I just wanted to let everyone know I've been doing this for a long, long time. I've been property management. I've been working with buyers and sellers. I've been doing wholesaling. I've been investing. I've been doing so many things, tax sales. I've been doing all these different forms of investing for all these years. And having learned so much about it is part of what got me to being in this studio today, saying, hey, you know, let me get some of this knowledge back out there in the world because I've bounced around so much and I've tried so many things, it's very rare that I see someone who has all the knowledge all in one little box, like my head. (laughs) Most people have different boxes. But anyways, um, that's enough about me. Okay, so running the numbers. Let's assume for this whole topic that the house is a $100,000 house. That's what the list price or what the person that's trying to sell the house is, and that just makes it a nice round number. Okay, so running the numbers. You're looking at a property, and you're looking to purchase this property. You want to know if you're buying a good deal. Before you even sign the contract, before you even get into the negotiations or go to the closing table, for an investor, you want to know if you've got an incredible deal here. For example, a person is selling their house, they're trying to sell it at market value, and they want top dollar for it. Those are not the kind of deals I'm looking for. I'm looking for deals that meet a certain equation. So my equation is this. If the deal is for $100,000, then Upon research and me looking into this deal, I have to see that it should be market value worth $200,000, 50% of what the value of the home is at that time is what I would be wanting to purchase it at. Now, again, this is a nice round number. You can stray from this a little bit by a few dollars, but I wouldn't stray from it very far. At least I wouldn't. I've seen investors do other things, and uh, some of those investors aren't around anymore. 
That's one of the numbers for how to calculate, Do you know, is the deal a deal? Doing market research on whether or not your property is worth what the person is trying to sell it to you for is a whole nother beast. You may want to get a real estate agent, a realtor, a licensed professional to help you, or maybe even your closing attorney, to help you with those sorts of things or to point you in the right direction of who can you get to help run the research until you know how to run your own research. One of the things that I like to do is title search, deed search. I like to go back at least, say, 25 to 30 years. In an actual title search, just so you know, when you go and you pay, you know go to the closing attorney or pay your attorney to do a real title search, they go back 50 years on that title. And they can chain that title back to to see where it has been for the last 50 years. That is considered very, very thorough. I usually go back 25 years. For example, a tax sale. When they run the tax sale to do a tax auction on a property, I believe they run those back 10 to 15 years is the required amount of time it has to go back. A lot of them pull back even further, but that's why I say 25 years is a good number of years for me to pull back and do the research. Now, most of you guys are going to have to go to do your research at the courthouse. The courthouse holds records in their real estate room that has every deed, every warranty, everything about that property, including easements, encumbrances, liens, all kinds of things, in these books that they store on little shelves right there in these little records-keeping rooms. You have to figure out where your book is located, which book your deed or your information is in, and then you got to go track that book down. And it takes hours and hours, eight to ten hours, I would assume, to do one piece of land. And that's just the basics. If you're going to go and do these things yourself, you're going to have to go to the courthouse. You're going to have to dig through those records. When you're dealing with a licensed professional, it might be a little easier. If you hire your attorney to do that, yes, it'll cost you money, but it doesn't cost you any of your time. For me, when I do it, it costs me a lot of time and no money at all. But that is something that is going to be very important, that you research your property, that you run the research on it, find out that you've got a good marketable title, everything is good, there are no liens. Then once you've got that information, then you may have yourself a deal to look at. You'll want to make sure that you're getting a good enough discount off of what the marketable price is, what someone else, what a reasonable person would buy your property for. For example, if I have a property that is worth $200,000 and I am in the middle of trying to go through a divorce and everything is very crazy in my life right now, Whatever my personal situation is, I'm just trying to unload that property and get rid of it quick. That's not the only scenario when this happens, but if someone passes away, let's say mom and dad passed away, and now they left the property to their three kids, and the three kids, you know, they don't want to fight over it. They just want to sell the property, sell it quick, and split the money. To them, I would say that these sometimes are very good deals where you can get a property at those sorts of discounts. Again, what's the the discount? 50%. For an investor, you want to buy a property 50% off. There's that, that number. Now, once you start doing things like you're under contract, now you're buying the property, how much are you going to pay down? That's another equation. On a property that you don't live in, you're generally paying 10 to 20% down. On a $100,000 house, that's $10,000 to $20,000 as a down payment that you're going to be required to come up with in order to purchase the property 
unless you just have all cash. If you're lending from any source at all, whether it's private money, hard money, or a traditional lending institution, a mortgage company, or a bank, they're all going to require the same thing. If it's a house that you do not have as your primary residence, if you're an investor that is renting it out, this is going to be 10 to 20% down. I guess 10% would be if your credit is excellent and 20% if your credit is just good. Anyways, you get your house, you're paying, let's say, 15% down. That's $15,000. Now you got to think about closing costs. Closing costs are probably going to cost you, let's say, $5,000. So now you're still coming up with twenty grand to purchase the property, to close on the property. Now you own it outright. Okay, so you have paid cash, the fifteen. Now you only owe 85000 but you still have to fix it up. So you're in the fix-up phase. You've got to get your general contractor or your person that you have to run your project, your project manager, to come up with a bid for all of the different remodeling and repairs that are to be done. So you get those numbers and they come back. Let's say you need $50,000 worth of remodeling and repairs. So you get those $50,000 and get the repairs done. And now you have a house that you've got $85,000 plus 50, 85, 95, 105, 115, 25, 135 you have in it. Now, what do you think your house is worth since you've put another 50 into a house that's worth 200? Almost 300,000. Well, I would say in this case, like 260 to 270. And here's why. It's generally going to be worth at least what you put into it if you've done smart renovations and repairs, which I like to maximize my renovations and repairs for the dollar that I'm putting in. I don't put in unnecessary things. And we may talk about this in a different podcast. Things like if you have a trailer, don't be putting quartz in your trailer. That's not going to make you any more money when it comes to the rental time or the rental amount that you get on that property. It rents for what it rents for because it's a trailer. Now, the same thing applies to a different type of property. Let's say a first-time homebuyer's home. It's not going to have to be the nicest of quality, but it's going to have to be nicer than the trailer. And you upgrade the nicer you go. If you're in a $400,000, dollars $600,000 house, you expect to see quartz. You expect to see nicer finishes. So again, let's say that we put in decent finishes in this place worth at least fifty grand that we spent on it. Generally, what that's going to return you is another ten dollars to $20,000 on top of that. So for me to say it was worth 200, now I've put in 50 and 250 would be the minimum if I did not so savvy repairs and remodeling. And again, your 50,000 I have seen other remodelers, I have seen other investors that when they put in 50 grand, they didn't watch the contractors. They didn't know enough about the trade. They didn't know how to install flooring themselves, so they didn't notice that it was done wrong. They didn't notice that different things were not done up to par. So when the $50,000 job was done, if you don't do it right and you don't watch your contractors and make sure that they have a quality product when they're done, then you could find that your 50000 invested in repairs is worth only twenty grand. 
if you're not careful. So vet your contractors, make sure they do good work. And if so, if you've done that and they do good work, then yes, it'll be worth at least a 50000 plus another ten to twenty. So to be safe, I say two sixty to two seventy would be the aftermarket value on that property. And we run these numbers and we, we calculate these things because not only do we want to know what it could be sold for, that helps determine what it would rent for. If it is worth, let's say, 260, 265, then you can assume that you could make maybe 20, two, two grand to 2300 easily per month on rent. Easily. And again, depending on the area, if you're in a really, really nice area, then it could be more than that. It could be up to 2800 or it could be less than that if you're in the hood. Again, know your location, know your neighborhood, know where you're buying. And when you're buying, make sure that you pivot that off of your numbers. Don't buy a $700,000 house in the hood. Don't buy a big $300,000 house in a trailer park. And I've seen this. I, I drove by a trailer park just the other day. No joke. Somebody built an actual brick house. Nice one. But it's not worth what they paid for it because it sits amongst all those trailers and it drags down the property value. What would be a $300,000 house is probably only worth two hundred, dollars just because of where it sits. It sits amongst trailers in a, what looks like a trailer park. It's not actually a trailer park, but it used to be. And again, those kind of things can complicate things. So you have to know your surroundings and match what the surroundings are in your neighborhood. Um, when you're remodeling, when you're trying to buy, you need to look around the neighborhood and know what you're getting into when you're running those numbers. And that too helps you know what number you want to shoot out an offer for. If you haven't properly checked out these numbers, then maybe you're not going to be able to negotiate as savvy. Back to the numbers. So it's worth 260 You can rent it out for, let's say, $2,300. you have put all this money into it. How much have you put into it? You've put in 135 Do you think that that would be an equitable, a good deal at that same 50% ratio? It got in 135 and it's worth 260 270 somewhere in there. Do you think that that still meets that 50% range that you followed the whole time? Yeah, that sounds right on to me. Exactly. So when you are running the numbers, you're wanting to think like an investor. You're wanting to purchase at 50% and you're wanting to make sure that all of the things you do from the time you purchase to the time that it's rented out or it's sold Everything falls into those equations that make it, okay, you've invested this much, but it's worth double that. You want to consider that in your renovations. You want to consider that in how much you're renting it out for. You want to consider that when you're going to sell the property. And when you sell, you're no longer thinking about the 50%, by the way. Now you're up to 100% because now you're not thinking with that same mind frame. You're thinking as an investor who, when they get ready to sell, the numbers magically change. Okay, some other numbers that you may want to know about. When you are going to close on a house, the closing costs are going to be a percentage of what the sales price is. So if the sales price, again, is $100,000, then let's say between 5 and 6%, sometimes more, sometimes less, but right around there. And again, depending on sale price is what that percentage will wind up to be. Same thing for real estate. Fees. If you are working with the buyers, if the buyer works with the buyer's agent, if the seller works with the seller's agent, if there's one or both, someone is making that six to eight percent commission that is going to be paid 
regardless. It's just something that has to happen. Otherwise, you're not buying this house. Otherwise, you're not closing on this deal. Uh, you got to pay the attorney. You got to pay your real estate agent. So these fees also, like I said, turn up to be six to eight percent on that end as well. So you're talking about between closing costs, realtor fees, other miscellaneous things you have to pay for. That's 12 to 15 percent of the actual cost. Again, these are things that have to come out of pocket. These are not things that you can finance normally. Now, some loans will let you finance some things, but you'll have to check with your each individual mortgage company, call up, find out, do your research. In my experience, closing costs and closing attorney fees, those things usually do not get financed in. Those are usually things that are on that closing sheet that have to be paid for in cash. Those are just a few of the numbers, a few of the fees, a few of the costs that you have to think of when you're investing in real estate. Some other costs are things like surveys, having someone do an appraisal of your property. These things are always worth doing. If you're a seller, you want to know how much your property is worth right now in the condition it's in right now. The only way to find that out is to have a a real estate agent come in and do a CMA, which is not an appraisal, but it's similar. It's not exactly the same, but we use the same techniques. We use the same software. We use the same tools. The numbers end up being very similar. It's not going to be no appraisal. Like if you had five appraisers come in and appraise your house, you're going to get five different numbers for what the house is worth, by the way. If you have five different real estate agents come in to see your house and do a CMA on your house, comparative market analysis on your house to see what it's worth when you go to sell, then you're going to get five answers as far as what your house is worth. They're all going to be remarkably similar because this is a, you know, it is what it is situation still. Your house is worth what it's worth and people are going to generally agree on the general price. It may come down to a few differences in dollars, but again, No two real estate agents are going to say exactly the same thing. No two appraisers are going to say exactly the same thing. It's not a science. It's like a guesstimate until the actual deal is done, until the closing table. And now you have comps to say, oh, this sold for this and this sold for this. And this is, you know, in this price range, unless you have facts of what other things have sold for, which is what both an appraiser and a real estate agent will use to do both of their appraisal and CMA, those are going to come up being pretty much the same thing. And they're going to cost very similar too. I think the last appraisal that I had done was $600. CMAs run several hundred dollars as well, depending on the broker that you have do it. Having somebody come in and do an inspection of your property to inspect it before you buy your home. These are costs that, I mean, maybe you can put it on your credit card, but you certainly can't finance it in to your loan. You're going to have to figure out where you're coming up with these numbers. And I would say this, find yourself a inspector who is going to be, this is the person that you give all of your inspections to. This is the person that you work with and let him know, hey, I'm an investor. I've been doing this for, you know, a little bit now. I look to do more of this in the future. I'm going to be using you quite often. Can you give me a discount? And some will and some won't. It never hurts to ask. But that's how I get some of my pricing to be a little lower. I always ask for the discount. I don't care if it's my best friend, my flooring guy, whomever it is in life, I always ask for a discount because that's what investors do. 
If you have any questions you want to ask me, you can always email them to me at realestatewendypodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you, and I'll see you next time.